Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention is working to help keep you and your community safe from the threat of novel or new coronavirus. Take the following everyday steps to help avoid the spread of all respiratory viruses. Wash your hands often with soap and water for at least 20 seconds. Cover your cough or sneeze with a tissue. Throw the tissue away and then wash your hands. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects or surfaces, such as remote controls and doorknobs. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. And stay home if you are sick. Call your health care provider if you develop fever, cough, or difficulty breathing. For more tips, visit cdc.gov. Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys. I'm your host, Joy Keys. I want to thank you so much for tuning in. You can follow me on Twitter, at Joy Keys. Also, check me out on Facebook, Saturday Mornings with Joy Keys, and on Instagram, uh, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Also, if you don't know, the show is now on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, as well as here on Blog Talk Radio. You want to follow because, you know, I give a lot of giveaways, books, CDs. Um, the movies are opening. If you feel comfortable, maybe. You, you never know. The other day I gave away a, a gift card to the Cheesecake Factory. So you want to keep your eyes peeled about giveaways and things that you can win. And also I do mail them out. I know some people are like, oh, it's a scam. Oh, it's not really going to happen. But I try to post. Um, pictures of people receiving their giveaways. So it is actually something I do. It's not fake. It's not a scam. So you can count when you win that you will get the item. Um, but anyway, thank you, though, for just listening, even if you don't want to you know, follow on social media. I appreciate that. And I hope that you've learned some things and been able to share the information with friends and family. Well, this morning we're going to be talking about suicide. I know you're like, Joy, damn, first thing in the morning. I know, but first thing in the morning, somebody could be thinking about suicide. In the evening, they could be thinking about suicide. You don't know, but these are some tools that you'll have if a friend or family or even yourself might be thinking about suicide and how to handle it. I have two great guests this morning, Um, Dr. Rita Walker. She's a licensed psychologist and a professor of psychology. She's also an author. She just released a book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health. Good morning, Dr. Walker. Good morning, Joy. It's so good to be here. And that Cheesecake Factory gift card, that sounded pretty good to me. <laughs> yes, right? I wanted to get it, but I was like, no, no, it's, it was National Cheesecake Day or something. And I was like, oh, what the heck? So um, I, I did that. But um, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. <laughs> uh, my, my other guest, Brandon Johnson, um, he has a degree, uh, MHS, and he is um, providing guidance to people all over the country with a new thing on YouTube. It's the Black Mental Health Wellness Lounge. Um, He does have a regular day job, if you will, but um, I I thought about him and the mental health lounge because 
that's what people are doing right now because we can't touch each other. So good morning, uh, Brandon, for coming on the show. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to be on and to have this conversation. Um, I know, right? We have all these, like, mental health professionals, and we're like, oh, we're excited to talk about suicide. <laughs> I know you guys are like, this is a crazy <laughs> group of, of hooligans, you know, um, if you will. But, no, we um, all three of us are advocates, and we really want people to have good mental health so that they can, you know, get through the day, get through their lives, and, and reach their goals. Um, so let me start off with, um, Brandon, what are some reasons you think people commit suicide? Yeah, I mean, there's there's so many different different reasons, and suicide is such a a complex issue. But you know, from what from what we know, uh, some of the most challenging factors around suicide, um, a lot of it has to deal with uh, with life circumstances and and traumas. And so, you know, as we all know, like life is so full of things that you know you prepare for and you plan for and you try to execute, but you know, along that path, like there are so many different curveballs and things that impact that impact people. And so, from data, we know that uh, finance finances are a huge issue uh, for people and can really cause a lot um, a lot of stress. And oftentimes, finances cause uh, marital stress or relationship stress. And so, uh, relationship stress and interpersonal stress is, is also um, another another big one um, unemployment being able to secure a steady job or, or income um, is another uh, major factor there and oftentimes um, untreated an untreated mental illness could be at play in the background um, as well such as depression and anxiety um, that if not checked can absolutely you know, put a person at, at greater risk of suicide and suicidal ideation um, but there, there are so many things that, um, you know, that could be brought up. Those are some of the major ones. And so as we think about these, like, social determinants of health, like, what are those things around us that, you know, equal a good life for us? The essence mm-hmm. of those or those being taken from us really quickly can absolutely put a person at, at greater risk. Dr. Walker, who do you think is, or what does the data say? Is it men, women? Um, black, white, Asians, Latinos, young or old, who, who is doing it, uh, I guess, I hate to say it, a more rapid pace, if you will? Well, you know, there, the data does suggest that there are patterns. But as Brandon mentioned, suicide is pretty complex. And so sometimes you have to look underneath the patterns to see what's going on. So if we just look, you know, at a very superficial level, the persons who are most likely to die by suicide are persons who identify as Indian, American Indian, Native American, and also white men. At the same time, women are as likely or actually more likely to attempt to die by suicide than are men. So estimates suggest that women may attempt suicide 20 times or anyone might attempt suicide 20 times before someone actually, before someone actually dies. So men are more likely to die, but women, because of the use of seemingly less lethal means, are less likely to actually die by suicide. But then when you start to look at the data by age, younger people are more likely to die than older people. So those who may be in their, say, ages 20s and 30s or so are more likely to die. But as you might imagine, it's concerning when someone is a teenager who dies by suicide because their life is still 
they're so young. They're still so early in life. There's so much more to learn and do and to understand about the world. But then when they die at, say, age 15, then they've missed out on all of the productivity and all that they could have contributed to our society. So I think that's one reason we especially become concerned about young people who die by suicide because they're so young and people are trying to figure out, well, well, what happened? You know, they had their whole life ahead of them, and there's just this sense of, like, not understanding what the complex factors are. So at the end of the day, I like to be able to make sure to communicate that really anyone could die by suicide because what happens at the end of the day is that people will say, oh, I didn't know that they were going through so much, or I knew they were struggling, but I didn't know it was that bad, or this person, they were just, they were so strong, and they seemed to have everything going for them, and so I don't, I don't even understand. And so, the, mm-hmm. so we have to be very careful about how we assign how bad something was because whatever matters or what really matters is how that person saw their circumstances and it doesn't matter who they are, race or ethnicity or gender or age. Now, Brandon, as a practitioner, how do you decide if someone's serious? You know, at what point do you're like, okay, I need to maybe have them committed or I need to call their mom or dad if they're younger um, or I need to talk to their spouse or I need to talk to them and, and sit with them over the weekend. How mm-hmm. do you decide as like a friend or a family person, is this person really serious or are they just like talking at the side of their mouth? Like, you know. Sure. Sure. So um, for for that particular question, you take it seriously whenever they say it or you see some behaviors that would exhibit that, you know, that you feel that they may be having some suicidal ideation or some suicidal thoughts. Um, so I've, I've been in suicide prevention for um, seven years, and so it feels like a lot longer. But I've been in suicide prevention specifically for about seven years. Um, when an individual comes to me um, or I may, you know, interface with someone who might be struggling and they mention that they're having suicidal thoughts, I have to take it seriously every time. There isn't uh, a magic thing that a person can say that I can say, oh, this is serious versus they, they just need some extra love today. Like they need, you know, they, they just need a hug. They're having a bad day and they're trying to get some support to make it to, to the other side. Um, I can't differentiate that between someone who, who may have a plan um, and may be thinking about, you know, taking their own life, you know, that night. Um, so for me and, and for everyone, my advice to people is to take it seriously every time. It's it's hard to know. As, as Dr. Walker just said, we don't know, we have no way of knowing how bad a, someone's situation is to them. You know, we have to, you know, just be empathetic, be compassionate every time um, to really exhibit that compassion for a person because, you know, there they may be a number of things, a myriad of things that we just aren't privy to. And so if they're at that point, you know, and for us, we're like, oh, they, they can't be there or they do this all the time. You know, we don't know. Something else additional may have happened that night before. It could have been, you know, some abuse. Their car could have been repossessed or, you know, they could have gotten into a, a bad uh, situation with, and within a relationship and they may be right there. And so we have to just be diligent uh, with people. When I tell people, if we act from a place of empathy and compassion from uh, from the onset, um, you know, we really can be able to help lives. So I, I, I really stress to people, just take it seriously every time because there isn't a magic way to know. Dr. Walker, so he's saying take it serious every time. 
what do we do? How, how what do our actions uh, look like? Meaning, when, when we take, do we sit there? Do we make tea? Do we put them to bed? Do we rub their feet? W- what do we do as a friend and family person that, to let them know we're taking their thoughts serious? And what should we do in terms of calling a practitioner for them? That's a good question. And you comment about you know making tea and, and rubbing feet. I would suggest. Any of those things matter that the person is comfortable with or that makes sense in that relationship. When someone is in a place of crisis or maybe getting to a place of crisis, they need connection. They need to know that someone cares about them. They need to know that their life matters, and they don't need to be judged under any circumstances. You know, oftentimes people will say when someone's struggling, oh, you know, it's not that bad, or oh, you'll be fine, or oh, You'll get over it, like all those things. And what they really need is for someone to be present and say, I'm here. Tell me what you need. You don't even need to know all the circumstances that factored into them being in a place of crisis. You know, if they don't want to talk about it, then fine. We can't push people to talk about things that they're not comfortable talking about. But if they feel like they're in a safe space where they're not being judged and somebody's got their back, then they will probably just open up. And one of my responsibilities is in training doctoral students who are working on their PhDs, and I tell them, your responsibility is not to keep someone alive. That's, that's too much pressure. As, you know, you can't even think straight if you're like, i got to keep this person alive. Then you go into crisis mode. Mm. But if you realize that your responsibility is, I have to be here, I have to listen no matter what, I'm going to sit here for three hours if I need to, maybe I tell them about a time when, you know, they did something for me that reminded me that I mattered or when no one else was there for me or a time they made me laugh, you know, let them know that you're not going anywhere um, and that you really care and concern and you're as concerned about their challenges as they are and whatever you need to do that you're willing to do that. Like that's what, that's what people really need. And maybe even not, not even people in crisis. Like we, ideally we we do this before someone gets into a place of crisis, you know, someone's struggling Mm -hmm. In the book, I talk about, you know, this, you know, rating your psychological fortitude at a zero to 10. You know, if somebody's Mm -hmm. covering it about a four or five most days, then say, you know, hey, you just want to come over and socially distance sit in the driveway or outside (laughs) and just hang out, you know, for a minute. Like, we can't wait until people are in crisis because when we do, it is harder to connect with them because they could be spiraling and not be able to problem solve in a way that'd be most helpful. I want to mention that the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Again, 1-800-273-8255. And they speak in a variety of languages, so don't fear if you don't speak English. You understand the phone numbers I just said, um, or you need to pass it along with some to someone. Um, they They will have a translator probably to help you out. But that's open 24-7 for anyone who you know, wants to call on behalf of someone or feels like they want to call themselves. Now, Brandon, let me ask you about what about people dealing with illness? You know, there are people who have chronic illnesses. There are people who have uh, terminal illnesses. Um, why should we stop those people if they, if they, again, because it's based on their perception of their pain and their difficulty, why should we stop those people from committing suicide or should we? What, what is your opinion about that, Brandon? That's a really tough question um, and definitely one that has a, a ton of, like, moral implications. 
But, you know, we do know that if the individuals who are experiencing, like, chronic pain or chronic illnesses are definitely um, more likely to uh, attempt suicide or have suicidal thought and ideation. Um, you know, I, I think what we have talked about so far really, you know, comes into play here and in being compassionate uh, with a person and, and, and what they're dealing with. Like, that is a, a really heavy uh, thing to do. And also, you know, there are typically in those situations caregivers who are also struggling because they also are bearing the weight of, you know, supporting this person and, and hearing these things and wanting to, you know, keep this person okay in a number of ways and in, in their physical health and in their mental and emotional health and wellness. Like that is a, a, a really key part there. And so I think, again, so, uh, you know, having that support and that compassion and, you know, understanding how, you know, it, it's very difficult to, you know, to deal with those things and to deal with that chronic pain or chronic illness, which comes with, again, those things that I mentioned earlier, like their financial pieces to that, like their relationship strain that comes with that um, and all of those things and helping to, you know, support a person and, you know, provide them with, uh, you know, with reasons to live and reasons to, you know, to keep pushing. But understanding that that is something that's very difficult for anyone to process if you're not actually in, in that situation. So providing that compassion and empathy, helping to support, you know, the, the caregivers as well, I think is um, a key point in that as, as well. And to give that empathy and compassion and listening ear and understanding um, just how challenging it is for that person to go through uh, with that situation. Um, Dr. Walker, um, there are different types of therapies that help better than others. Um, I was reading about dialectical behavior therapy and also cognitive behavioral therapy. Are you familiar with those, and, and how, how would they be helpful helping a person who is dealing with suicide? Well, they do take, uh, they have related, I have some familiarity, so they have related but somewhat different approaches. And I'll start actually with the dialectical behavior therapy, which is known as DBT. They're both empirically supported treatments, meaning that there's data to suggest that they can be helpful for people with a myriad problems. With DBT, one of the ways that it can be helpful is just with regard to emotion regulation. And so, you know, things happen, right? So we can't control the things that happen outside of us. Sometimes those things happen and they send us into a tailspin. And sometimes, you know, it's like water on a, and it rolls off. But for people who are struggling emotionally and psychologically, they just feel like they can't manage the things that are happening around them. And DBT allows them to gain emotion regulation skills so that they feel like they can manage life. And also relationships. So one of the things that Brandon mentioned earlier was like, you know, relationship problems, that can trigger suicide crisis. So I do feel like mm. CBT is strictly, not, not, um, DBT really does help for people to, to just manage their life better. If I can oversimplify it, and it is an oversimplification, but I want to be able to be as, as helpful as possible for the audience who may not be familiar with these therapies. CBT is um, the larger umbrella. So DBT can fall under the umbrella of CBT. And CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, says that, you know, our thoughts affect our mood and affect our behavior, and all of those different things are connected. And if we can mm -hmm. interrupt, interrupt some of our problematic thinking, then it affects our mood and behavior. And, you know, some folks will say, well, 
the way I think about things, you know, people tell me I'm wrong, but I know I'm right. And it's not about changing your thinking because it's right or wrong. It's more so are these thoughts helpful or are these thoughts part of the problem? So as an Mm -hmm. example, saying I can't survive this, I can't deal with another day of social distancing. Well, it could be true, but it might be helpful to say, okay, I'm having a tough time with social distancing. And then that opens up the mind to be able to problem solve, to come up with solutions for, okay, social distancing is hard. It's not impossible. What do I need to do in order to survive this moment, to get through the next hour, to get through the next week? So both therapies can be helpful, and I I call them, you know, upstream types of interventions. So, again, before someone gets into crisis. But even when people do get into a place of crisis, just being able to manage the thoughts, being able to manage the emotions, you know, sometimes we need help, all of us. Sometimes all of us need help managing the things that are outside of our control, and especially now, you know, when we've got multiple pandemics all happening at the same time. Yes. I mean, this is a crazy period and also across the globe. Um, Brandon, what do you think, um, in terms of African, you're an African-American male, and we're dealing with this plethora of killing of African-American males and, and females. Um, but as a, a black male, that's a level of stress. I don't know your stress and you don't know mine. What would you tell a black male um, on, on dealing with this, this stress, this, this racism um, that's so systemic on a daily basis? What yeah. are some things that you might be able to share with, you know, another black male about how to deal with that? First, I would I would say, and I and I do talk about this on the lounge. Like part of this is um, is really to to find a way to talk about it and communicate. So like so much of our you know upbringing and social norms is really for um, you know as a black man, like you're taught not to you know show a lot of emotion um, that it could be perceived as a sign of of weakness, but really you know, as I've gotten older and kind of like, you know, talked to, to men and kind of like, you know, got into this space, you know, really, I think what it was, was that like, you know, our, our parents were trying to build up strength because they knew how we were perceived in the world around us, right? Like they knew what it takes for, for us to, to be successful and to navigate this. And so, you know, in the best way they could, they kind of saw strength as, you know, us, like, you know, not feeling these emotions and not being, um, you know, weak. I'm doing air quotes right, right now. So, like, not being weak about things. I mean, there's so much power in, in talking and in, and in conversation because we're all experiencing it. Like, as a black male, like, we all experience these shared experiences of, you know, like, being followed around, like, in a store or, um, you know, having people, like, you know, hold their purses closer if you're walking by them or, you know, moving away from you in an elevator or just struggling through, you know, like your identity and figuring out what course is the best and, and trying to, you know, also like be there as a support for your family. Like there's all these things that and all these weights that we carry that are, you know, you know, specific to us. And if everybody around us is experiencing the same thing, why not talk about it? And I think talking to uh, one of the things that I've encouraged other guys to do too is to talk and bring up that conversation with another black man, because what you're doing is that you're changing and shifting the stigma both ways. 
So now they feel like they can talk about it. They know a safe place, as uh, Dr. Walker mentioned earlier, like having those safe spaces is so key, especially for black people, because historically every space that was supposed to be safe for us has not been. So as much as we can build those within our own community, I think we leverage people the opportunity to say, you're not alone in this. Like, you know, you, I experience is this too. Like I have trouble on my job, like with my supervisor and, and, and this is stressful. And some days I don't feel like, you know, getting out of bed and dealing with it. Like it's, it's such a thing that we all deal with. And so I encourage you know, men to do that. And there's we're not there yet in terms of representation in therapy and counseling, but it's so much better than what it used to be. Um, so I definitely encourage really all black people, if you can find a therapist, especially one that looks like you, if not one that looks like you, one that can exhibit like cultural humility, like an understanding how your culture, you know, interfaces with who you are, um, then do that. I think it's an important thing for us to do because we've carried so many different weights for so long and we're experiencing these things again right in the forefront and so being equipped to deal with our mental health as we you know fight and persist and and protest for you know for equal rights and and for justice is so important that we're guarding our mental health at the same time i want to mention you were talking about where can they go and and finding practitioners um there's a group called black men heal um, and they are a wonderful mm-hmm. resource here in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, but I'm sure they have connections in other places across the country. And then there's also um, an app. I had the uh, person who created an app called Black Therapy Love App, and they actually have little videos um, of the black therapists, men and women, talking about just themselves and their style of therapy. But then you can say, oh, okay, that person clicks with me. I think I want to talk with them. Um Dr. Um, Walker, now with this COVID, uh, people can't get out to their therapist. Maybe they were already in therapy, um, but there's a lot of telehealth going on. Do you think that telehealth is a viable option for people? Is it really helpful? Um, is it better than face-to-face? What are your thoughts about this telehealth? Well, I do think we have to evaluate it on a couple of different levels, right? So, if someone was not in therapy and maybe they didn't go to therapy because they said, I don't have time for that, teletherapy is wonderful because it's mm. so incredibly accessible. If you have, you know, a device, Internet connection, obviously there are challenges because you don't get to see nonverbal communication or, or you don't get to see as much as would be helpful in a face-to-face therapy setting. But for people who otherwise would not have been in therapy who are willing to try it, I, I, I think that's a wonderful thing that people are certainly considering more and more. And like I was saying about, you know, kind of the downside, therapists get a lot of information from, you know, the person physically sitting in front of them. There's research that would suggest that communication is 80% nonverbal. And so it's nice to be able to physically see and not just someone from the shoulders up, you know, but their entire body right. because it gives information. But otherwise, I, I do think that it's a viable option. And I encourage people that, yeah, you know, watch videos. If you can read something about a therapist, then please, by all means, do that because one of the single most important factors in whether or not therapy can be successful is the relationship between the therapist and the client or patient. And so 
don't give up if the first person doesn't work out. Like, hey, that wasn't a good fit. Like, don't just say therapy doesn't work. Find the person with whom you can match up uh, that you feel like you can connect with. Like, you know, they understand you to some degree. And usually that person for black people is other black people. But there are therapists who are from other racial or ethnic groups who do have the humility to be able to connect with someone regardless of their background. So I say yay for teletherapy. I think the science is coming in on the effect, still coming in on the effectiveness, but there's enough to suggest that it can be as helpful as face-to-face therapy, and it's certainly more accessible. Well, I want to thank you guys for coming on. I want to mention again the Suicide Prevention Lifeline, 1-800-273-8255. Also, for veterans who, somebody's a veteran, when they dial that number, if they press number one, it goes to the Veterans Crisis Hotline. Um, Thank you so much, Dr. Walker, for coming on. I'm going to be giving away a copy of your book, The Unapologetic Guide to Black Mental Health, and I wish you much success with your virtual touring. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you so much. And if I could, I'll mention for texting, there's a crisis, suicide crisis text line at 741 741 for folks who don't like to call. So that might be helpful for some people in your audience. Thank you so much. Yes, definitely. Everybody has a different way of connecting. And thank you, Brandon, for coming on. Um, Tell the audience, again, they can go to YouTube and just look up Black Mental Health Wellness Lounge, or how would they go about finding your name? Yep, that's perfect. If you go to YouTube.com and type in the Black Mental Wellness Lounge, the page will come up and you'll be able to subscribe and see all of our videos there. So we've done about eight. I've brought on some, some different guests. And so we talk about a number of, um, of topics, including uh, helping kids navigate through school right now, talking, with, uh, talking about black men mental health um, as well, and also people supporting a family member um, who may be uh, struggling with uh, mental health challenges. So, yeah, definitely uh, look that up and check that out. All right. Well, thank you so much, you guys, for coming on this morning. I wish you both success with your different projects. And maybe I'll talk to you again at another topic. There's so many topics um, mental health professionals can make an impact on. Uh, Thank you so much for coming on today. I want to thank the listeners for listening and tuning in. Again, you can follow me at Joy Keys on Twitter. Also check me out on Facebook Saturday mornings with Joy Keys. And on Instagram, Saturdays with Joy Keys. Uh, Stay tuned. I'm going to be speaking with a great author, Farrah Rashawn. Another light topic, though, romance, sex, relationships, no suicide. So you can tune in for that. I'll talk to you guys later. Again, thank you guys for coming on. You guys have a great weekend. Thank you. You do the same. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? 
In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.